it's been quite the weekend in the footballing world. So Jack and I sit down to talk about everything that's happened from tragedy in Liga MX to Manchester City just destroying United to uh, some controversy with Russian clubs and national teams getting banned from UEFA and FIFA competitions. Definitely stick around to hear all of our takes and analysis on it here on the Final Third podcast. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Final Third Podcast. It's Monday, which means it is our news and review show. News and review. News and predictions. But we are actually not going to do any predictions. We're going to yeah. be doing a lot of reviewing, so maybe we should rename it to that. Uh, but it is the the episode of the week where we talk about all the big happenings in the soccer world, both on and off the field. My name's H. Edsbura, one of your co-hosts, a fan of Minnesota United, which we will talk about, West Ham United, which I'm glad we won't be talking about, <laughs> and the U.S. national team, which, for unfortunate reasons, we will have to talk about as well. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jack. Yeah, and I am a fan of Minnesota United. Uh, I'm going to talk about them because I had to go to the home opener, which Woo-hoo. was cool. Um, I'm a fan of Chelsea, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. I'm a fan of Atalanta. Glad we're not talking about that at all. Uh, <laughs> it's best not to. Uh, and then a fan of the French and U.S. national teams. Yeah, and I feel like, not to go off on a tangent right away, but I have a, I just didn't feel like <laughs> we have not been wanting to talk about Atalanta for at least like two months now. I don't yeah. think their form's been very good. No, 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 no. It, it really hasn't. Uh and I feel like this might be karma for me trashing Juventus week in and week out. I think yeah. it's I think it's finally coming back around. Yikes, yikes. But on on the flip side of that, Atalanta not doing well, but we had pretty positive news for for you. You got to go to the Minnesota United home opener as rainy as cold as it was, Jack. So yeah. how how did the game go? Uh well, the if if you count the first four minutes, bad. But if you count <laughs> the rest of the eighty six, it was pretty good. Um right. you know, we we actually did really well against Nashville for most of the game outside of the one minute where they did score. I'd, I'd honestly say we put up a, pr- a really good performance overall. Uh, also, uh, the our, our new signings looked really good. O'Neal Fisher, who mm-hmm. I wasn't completely convinced about originally when I heard we were signing him. You know, he's a 30 year old right back. And I was like. A little skeptical about that, but and I think it's definitely serviceable. Yeah. He he has been he was really good. One of our most energetic players. And, uh, you know, I we also got to see uh, Bongo Kule Lonwane, who was mm-hmm. awesome. I he was great. He, yeah, seriously. Our best player. I I am hoping he gets a few starts. Fragapane got a hamstring injury, it sounds like. So uh, it looks like he will get some starts and well deserved because he was our best player. Uh, in my opinion, at least very creative, nice. very good, uh, very good dribbling, good control. Just the only thing that he didn't do well was shooting. But I, I'm I, you know what? Everything else, though. Great. There's that one shot where he got uh, not pretty close, but I, I was like, if this goes in, Twitter's going to blow up. I know. Yeah, it swerved it, it, away. It swerved yeah, away from the goal. I know. Uh, Amaria, uh, one of our new signings or returning signings, also mm-hmm. had a pretty good chance that he put over, which is kind of disappointing. But yeah, uh, Jack, you got to see Hassani Dotson score again off I his did. own rebound, so that was pretty cool. 
Yeah, uh, actually, it was an Amaria rebound because he shot it into oh, into okay, a okay. bunch of bodies, and Hassani Dotson was there to clean it up. It seems like you know whenever I go to Minnesota United games, Hassani Dotson scores a dramatic goal. Like yes. there was this one, uh, I went to the game against Sporting Kansas City in 2019, where he scored the goal that sent us to the playoffs for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe uh, it, it's it seems like a trend. So. Maybe, maybe I just Dotson's need to go to more games. Got to be your, your next jersey. Maybe, maybe. Mm, who knows? And then he'll leave. Like what always yeah. happens? Like, like yeah, it. that's <laughs> always what happens. I, I'm very worried because I I have a Michael Boxel jersey. I'm very worried about that. What that might mean? Ooh, yeah. Well, Jack, I'm glad that you have stayed relatively dry, given how rainy it was. There was a rain delay, and I'm glad that even though we didn't win, got to see at least a couple cool moments there. Yeah. Uh, to kind of toot my own horn for a little bit, I will be going to another rainy place, unfortunately for me. Uh, I'll be going to Seattle for a little bit during this spring break that we're currently on. And, you know, I'll be going around all the cool touristy places there, you know, Pike's Place, uh, going to the, the probably not going to go up to the Needle, but uh, I'll be around that area and also be going to the Seattle Sounders Club Leon uh, CONCACAF Champions League game, which I am very excited to go to because... A, I've literally never been to another MLS stadium to actually watch an MLS team play. So that's going to be a crazy time, especially considering that it is literally one of the best fan bases in MLS. And it's also one of the biggest competitions that you can possibly ask to see. Club Leon uh, is a very good team. And, you know, I, if it was I'm watching like, I don't know, Colorado versus Seattle in Seattle, I'd be like, oh, I don't really care who wins. I'm just here for the good time. But because it's MLS versus Liga MX, I will be rooting so hard for the Sounders. I will, I will, I will be cheering Morris's name until until my my voice gets raspy. So very excited for that. So a lot of soccer in our lives, Jack. How about that? Yeah, I I, I did want to mention one other thing that I remember from the game because oh, yeah. you met you mentioned the rain. So it, the field was so muddy that oh, Kenny yeah. Mukhtar tried to take a shot. You might have seen it on TV. Yeah. He tries to shot. It gets caught in the mud and spins in the ground in place. <laughs> it it was hilarious. Uh, I was with a, a friend of mine and we joked the entire rest of the game that we have the twelfth man mud on our team. So exactly. That that was it, it. Was one of the most MLS moments I think I've seen. It it, yeah. it felt like you know League Four soccer in in the in the UK. That's yeah. like uh, the the pitch was not looking incredible after after the rain. I don't, I don't know what was up with uh, the field because I feel like this this has kind of happened before where the field kind of gets messed up or the drainage isn't working. And not to name names, but I d- actually do know which engineering firm <laughs> designed the, <laughs> the water resources for the stadium. So kind of cringe, kind of cringe. But uh, luckily, you know, Nashville didn't score another one against us. Uh, and luckily, we're now going to go into some more of the soccer news, some big soccer news. Follow us on Twitter and go to our website at Final Third Show and FinalThirdShow.com, respectively, to hear all of our ramblings and ravings of soccer across the world. And speaking of across the world, let's go just south of the border uh, in Mexico, where we're going to be talking about some uh, very, very serious news. I mean, Jack and I, we have never been ones to shy away from more serious topics, whether it be within the soccer world or just adjacent to the soccer world and this is no different this uh of course we're talking about probably the 
biggest off the field news that's happened just in this past week, which is saying something considering that the Russian Ukrainian war is still going on. But Carol uh, Taro versus Atlas were was a match between two Liga MX teams in Mexico. Carol uh, Taro, of course, being uh, I'd say uh, not a great team. I, I'm honestly forgetting where they are right now, but I believe they're towards the bottom of the table and Atlas are the more recent Liga MX champions. And this is is a match where uh, Atlas, I, I believe, were winning at the time, and kind of uh, is some some crazy stuff happened, uh, to say the least. Riots began to break out within the stadium, in the stands between Carotaro uh, and Atlas fans, and it spread across. The entire stadium, it, it, fans began fighting on the field, in the concourses, even making their way into uh, the areas of the locker rooms. And it, it, it was pretty brutal stuff. Uh, it, it, I highly recommend not looking it up on Twitter and Instagram because it, it led to a lot of bloodshed and it led to a lot of needless violence to the point where uh, there, there were in early estimates 17 dead that number has fluctuated whether it be less or more but the general consensus is that there are a lot of people at the very least in highly critical conditions if not uh, gone from us so again highly recommend not looking it up and just you know reading about it if you can stomach it or just hearing it from us because it's very very disheartening to see and also uh just not what you want to see from what should be the beautiful game. And I, a lot of people and a lot of organizations have responded rightfully so because, you know, seeing 17 people dead from supporter on supporter, ultra on ultra violence is not exactly what you want to see literally ever, whether it be in the past or especially in 2022 when you would think that we would have stopped that out. So, Jack, how have people responded and how how have you responded to this because i remember I, I i was the one that told you about this and it, it, it's it, it's crazy to see from anyone that has a heart you know yeah i mean it's awful news you know like any any amount of violence related to soccer is bad news you know there that there shouldn't be a place for it in the game and you know how how have other people responded you know League MX canceled all the games, right? They canceled all the games today. That's an important thing. They did not cancel or suspend any of the games that were going on yesterday. So uh, a bit of an interesting thing there. And, uh, you know, CONCACAF put out a statement. Yes, what a great statement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they said that they condemn these types of behaviors and call on local authorities to fully investigate those criminal acts and hold accountable those who have tarnished our game. And Great. if you notice my tone getting like how it was there, uh, it's because this is like the most PR safe uh, thing you could have done. There is they're like, we're going to say we, we believe that sanctions will uh, will provide necessary support to Liga MX. What sanctions? You announce nothing. This this the statement, despite taking almost 24 hours to come out has no has nothing of substance in it so it, it's kind of crazy that 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 they they spent so long 
they're like, oh, we're crafting the best response ever here. And it's crap. It's malarkey. Yeah, just put out this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it, it's really bad because this is a, this is a big issue, right? If if this kind of thing happens where tons of people end up injured or potentially dead, then you have a responsibility as the organization that manages all of this. Right. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. Like, you know, if if this happened in an MLS stadium, I'd, I'd expect CONCACAF to come in and say, uh, yeah, you're not having fans in your stadium for a, for at least a few games, you know, like do something right. Like just something that that that's what I, that's that's what I think about it. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of annoying to see how little accountability is really being provided, like calling on authorities to investigate these actions as if they weren't already doing that. Like yeah. they're they're clearly already doing that. You you have literally said keep doing what you're doing. Like that that's yeah. it. That's that's it, what they've said. It, it's the equivalent of uh, one of your group members in a group project just tacking their name on, but not really doing anything to yeah. contribute to the project. That's basically exactly. what that is. Yeah. Uh, well, on on top of that, luckily there are people not Concacaf because screw Concacaf for that inaction, but there have been a lot of fans who are calling for more action, for calling for harder sanctions, including very, very, I would say, valid, uh, highly punishing Karataro. Some fans even calling for the the, the the automatic relegation or disembandment of Karataro as, as a football club, or at the very least, not having any stands in their stadium, having to move to a different stadium, move to a different city. Uh, a lot of crazy, uh, crazy ideas but you gotta say that uh, not not all of it is unjustified to say the least because they as the the football team that was hosting the match was responsible for you know rounding up security for uh you know getting all, all the resources necessary to run this game and it just failed the security was non-existent and they are large parts of the reason why this happened yes you blame the fans you can blame at the atlas plans the Kerataro fans which is why a lot of people are also calling for uh not as harsh but still pretty harsh sanctions on atlas whether it's them not having to play with fans for a year or no they are not allowed to travel as away fans but all that seems justified and a lot of people have also been calling for sanctions to be put on Liga MX as a whole and potentially getting this the season suspended indefinitely until they can increase the level of security in stadiums wholesale which kind of goes into what should happen next after the, these steps because obviously anyone dead anyone injured because of a soccer game is too much the, the full stop right so what are the steps that we can take to minimize the chances of this happening again, of violence occurring in what should be a fun event for people of all ages, skin colors, you know, supporters of different teams, like welcoming for everyone. How can we stop this from happening? Jack, uh, anything else uh, beyond the obvious of more security? Is there anything else that you think that that? League MX, Kerataro, or Con- CONCACAF as a whole should do? 
more security is an absolute must. You know, you, you've got and I, I think it goes beyond just saying more security because sure. a lot of a lot of people are, are always like, oh, well, the, the solution's really obvious. You know, you need more security. But why why is it that they're not able to have more security? Maybe it's that not all clubs have the same amount of funding and maybe, you know, you should have some funding available for security, you know, so, or to, for stadium improvements, right? Like, how are the fans so easily able to get onto the field as well? You know, have, like, make money available to actually improve things because, you know, stadium infrastructure isn't something that's easily, like, rebuilt or redone all the time. You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of teams that play in pretty old stadiums. So give give funding to make sure that, if you're going to call for more security, right, make sure you have uh, you have available the resources to do that. Right. That that's that's one thing that I, I want to mention for sure. But another thing, you know, I, I think you ban Carataro fans from from for at least the rest of this season. Atlas fans, I, I say just no away games. Okay. I, I, I I think I think that's pretty fair. Uh, you know, because I, I haven't seen enough to see what 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 section of supporters started it necessarily. But at the end of the day, does it really matter when it got that out True. of hand like that? That's that's the question that that comes up. So I th- I think that that actually warrants an, an investigation for sure. Like what who who who's responsible for it? it was it like was it like an Atlas fan that was that started it? I mean, does it doesn't make that much of a difference? Not necessarily, but it it still it still is important to know that kind of stuff. Just it's so good you for can, context at the very least. Yeah, it, Even exactly. If it doesn't necessarily uh, control any of our decision making. You know, right? Whatever. And one one thing I will say that definitely should not happen because I've seen too many people say it, it, especially U.S. men's national team fans. This should not affect the Mexican national team at all. The, this yeah, people probably, were like yeah. ban them from World Cup qualifying. Like what? I, I yeah. get you. I get you want to you want the U.S. to qualify, <laughs> but seriously, like they have nothing to do. The Mexican national team has nothing to do with this. Yeah, it, it's it's not their fault that two Liga MX teams were uh, like started a brawl in a stadium. It's it, it might be the Mexican Football Federation's fault, but it is not the fault of the Mexican national team and their players. Yes. So uh, I, I think that that's an important distinction there. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the fan, the sanctions on fans, you know, uh, we we've it, we've seen FIFA's not afraid to ban fans sometimes, sometimes right. uh, it, it depends, you know, uh, on, on the situation. But I feel like it would be pretty. I, I was about to say it would be pretty inhumane to not do it, but. Then I remembered we're talking about FIFA and where the World Cup's being held. So, I mean, I don't really hold them to that high of a standard at this point. Yeah, I I, I think I I agree with everything that you said and really disheartening to see. And I I hope that a lot of those sanctions do get put on place. I'd also like to see just not exactly like sanctions, but culturally, I I think once games resume again, like I I really like, like to see like all the clubs kind of acknowledge it. And 
I, I would like to see a league wide motion towards safety where like like there's there becomes like a standard that every single club has to be held by in order to stay within the league. Because, you know, th- 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 that kind of stuff does occur, like where, you know, the stadium has to be uh, this this level of quality in order to uh, in order to be eligible to be a hosting ter- a hosting stadium for our uh, league. I, I think there should be that that kind of standards for for minimum levels of security, minimum levels of stadium infrastructure related to security, and I, I think those safety measures, whether it be a a, a safety measures between away and home fans, because I, I know especially like Argentina, the way that they kind of work around this is they have like literal you know metal uh metal bars that separate the two supporters because they know that stuff's gonna get out of hand they have like a wall of like security officers of off off off-duty police officers like uh, between them to make sure they don't fight like that's kind of stuff that you have to do and this is kind of what happens uh in some of these leagues that unfortunately don't get the same amount of uh tv money as say the premier league or syria or or even mls and this is something that you kind of have to hold standards, hold standards to yourself to on, in order to get that level of safety. So, unfortunately, this ha- this have to happen. Uh, hopefully, we could see some closure on this in the future with some movements towards uh, more safety and hopefully less injuries to fans. Jack, anything else to say about this uh, kind of blight against Mexican soccer and soccer in general? Uh. I, I also hope it gets resolved soon and that we can find some some way to work uh, to improve the safety standards in the Mexican League and to, you know, make just just make things better to whatever extent we can. Yes, I agree. Let's move on to some more bad news. But of course, uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's uh not as bad, but Weston McKenney is out for the season after m- most recently getting uh, an injury in game. Yep. And a broken foot is a the broken injury. Foot. Yep. Do, do you remember uh, which game it was? Because I think I'm, I think I'm forgetting uh, which game it was for Juventus. I uh, want to say it was the Champions League game that they played, but I could be wrong about that. Um, I, I'm looking through theirs right now, but. I, I think it I think it was a fairly recent game. Yeah, it, it was the game against Villarreal the last was, time he yeah. played on the 22nd of February. So, yeah, it, it, it was feared that he he would have a, a severe injury and he would be out for a long time. Two to three months in the grand scheme of things for his career and most importantly for the U.S. men's national team World Cup appearance is not that big of a deal. He has time to get back into things next season before the World Cup and play well. However, this does mean, most importantly for us right now, that he will be out for the March World Cup qualifying window, which, as you may know, is going to be very difficult because we are going to be playing Mexico and Costa Rica away and Panama at home. And so there's a lot of of tension there, given that he is one of our if not our best, most informed player right now. And so that leaves a couple of questions for the U.S. men's national team to answer. Most importantly, how do you replace him? And who 
do call up to fill out the midfield roster. Jack, I saw you tweet about this. For the most part, I agree. Why don't you let our listeners know what where you stand with the Weston McKay replacement uh, kind of debate right now? Yeah, well, obviously, it's not good news because Weston McKinney is a great player for the U.S. Goated, right? world class. Yeah, he, yeah, he's really good, and uh, he's been one of our best players in World Cup qualifying. So I understand a lot of people freaking out about it, especially since we play Mexico away. I think it's Costa Rica away and Panama yep, and at home. Panama at home, yep. So that, that that's a tough schedule. However, I will say that I, I think we still have the depth available to fill in for that. I, I, I will say that I was a little bit wrong in the tweet I sent earlier today because Busio is also injured, uh, apparently. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's not great. But the U.S. has a lot of good midfielders. In fact, our midfield might be our most deep position, really. Like uh, we, we've got a lot of quality players there. You know, Yunus Musa. Uh, we Tyler Adams obviously is going to start re- regardless if if he's available. So we've got him, Yunus Musa, uh, Luca Della Torre, who was fantastic when when we saw him play yes. uh, against Honduras, and he has been fantastic in the Eredivisie since then. And Tanner Tessman, he's been playing decently for Venezia, so maybe he deserves a call up. Yeah, for sure. Kellen Acosta, may, maybe not as maybe not as an eight, but you know. If we if we can do a double pivot for two sixes, you could work well alongside Tyler Adams. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one other one that I'm not sure is as popular, but I am a big advocate for this particular player. And that is Huddersfield Towns, Dwayne Holmes. I think I think we call him up if if. Jack, there is a significant contingent of U.S. men's national team uh, supporters that will agree with you. Well, good. I'm they're not very one smart. of those. They're, no, they're, mm. they're, those, are the, those are very smart people, you know. Uh, he, he's been pretty good for them. He, he, he scored five goals in 20 starts uh, from mostly central attacking midfield, sometimes left wing. But he's been pretty good for them, you know. He, he's, got, he's got good passing He's pretty good at dribbling. He's got a 67% dribble per, uh, complete percentage. I, I, I think he, he'd be a decent player to call up if, if we need more midfield depth. And of course, Gio Reyna is back in training for Dortmund. So he, he might be there. Yeah. So, you know, we, we could have we all I'm saying is we have players available. It's going to suck to lose Weston McKinney for these three games, but we have players that can also play in those positions. Mm-hmm. Can I throw in the name of Jordi Mihailovic? Oh yeah. I can't believe I forgot about him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I know he hasn't, you know, featured too much for the U S men's national team uh, since, you know, 2020 and thereabouts, but I, I he, he lit it up for, uh, I almost said, uh, their old name for sorry cf montreal last season <laughs> but i don't know like i think he'd be good and i i agree with you i think on the field it's not that we can replace him because it's hard to replace a player like weston mckenney but we can at least get some serviceable backups i'm looking at luca della torre as being that guy uh i i wouldn't be opposed to seeing uh kellen acosta 
Definitely not Sebastian Lachette. No offense, Sebastian Lachette. Don't want to see you there. <laughs> but he uh, scored a goal already this season. He scored a goal. I mean, honestly, like he, has, he hasn't been playing poorly. Uh, I'll give him that. But it'll take a lot more than two good games for him to come back into the fray. Oh, that's all Greg needs, though. That's all Greg needs. All Greg needs. Well, I hope that if anything else, Greg can see that the likes of Jordi Mihaljevic, Tanner Tesman, uh, Eunice Musa, Luca Del Torre all warrant spots at the very least. And I- I'll be looking towards them to kind of step it up, Eunice Musa especially. However, I think probably the, the biggest need that uh, the U.S. men's national team need to address with Weston McKenney is his locker room presence. I, I think. Uh, Minus the fact that he did get into trouble last season, I think that his positivity and what he adds to morale is a big reason why this team is so cohesive. So there needs to be that kind of leader that gets players pumped up. If you see during like games, he's he, he's he's obviously very involved with not just the goals, but also getting the team riled up ramped up getting them in that positive mindset getting them uh squared up and ready to attack and that's the kind of uh not exactly captainship that's the the type of leadership that you need within a team and so who's going to be that guy who can be as animated as him and i i honestly don't know uh, I know Gio Reyna has a little, some fire in his belly. I don't know enough about Luca Del Torre on the personal level to know if he's up to that. But uh, I don't know. Miles Robinson, uh, I, I know, has a voice in him. Walker Zimmerman as well. So there kind of needs to be that that guy in the outfield that can kind of just be uh, the, the motivator. If nothing else, then uh, just be that guy. I don't know how I don't know exactly how the U.S. men's national team addresses that other than uh, hoping for someone to to step up into that role. Yeah. Yeah. So, AJ, your three midfielders that you'd pick Hmm. for this upcoming window, if assuming, of course, Tyler Adams doesn't get another yellow card, because if he does, he's suspended. Uh, So three, your three midfielders that you're starting. Okay. Uh, uh, the first game is what against Mexico? I believe yes, away at okay. Mexico. Well, I, I'm not going to go into like the nitty gritty, but like how how would I like uh, do all three three games? Because that that probably is a deep dive episode coming next week or whatever. But I would go right now: Eunice Musa, Luca Della Torre, and Adams, and just to throw in some backups in case one of them gets injured or whatever. I'd throw in uh, Kellen Acosta. And uh, Busio, but he's injured. I'll say Jordi Mihailovic since I've already mentioned him. How about you, Jack? See, we're playing against Mexico in the first game. And Mexico are known for, uh, you know, kind of playing a little dirty against the U.S. Oh, I, th- I like where this is going. And so I Tyler Adams, one, one yellow card away from being suspended. And we could use that in the game against Panama at home. You know, we, we kind of need that. So... Do we have a specialist number six that plays the game of his life every time against Mexico? And, and, and does very good <laughs> at getting it in uh, Mexican players' heads? I yeah. think there is, and I do, think do his we name... have that? And yes, his name is Kellen Acosta. Kellen Acosta, yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying this. I know for a lot of USA fans, this is going to cause a lot of I people like to get it, mad. I like it. Kellen Acosta, start him at the six, and then flank him with Eunice Musa and Luca Della Torre. Okay. That that's that's my choice right there. That I know that's that's kind of a strange rationale, but 
here's the thing. If we can get a point out of Mexico and then win against Panama, we're, we qualify to the World Cup. Yeah, that's it. That's what we that's what we need to do. So what puts us in the best position to do that? I think saving Tyler Adams for the game against Panama puts us in the best position to do that. I I, I know that it, it's tough, but when you consider that yellow card accumulation thing, it makes it kind of tough to 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 like set him out there, especially against Mexico. Yeah, God, now I now I I just got nervous again about the window and how it's gonna go. <laughs> I really yeah. wish Weston McKinney didn't get injured, but I still think that given the talent we have on our team, given how well they've been playing for club and honestly for country, I think that we have more than a likely chance of qualifying. Fingers, fingers crossed. All right, Jack. Let's go on from the U.S. and Mexico to across the pond and talk about the top five leagues in uh, your stat padding trivia, which, uh, listeners, if I may remind you, is the section where Jack asks me five questions and uh, about statistics, about trivia, uh, relating to soccer, and I try my best to get as many points as possible, and you guys can play along and hopefully do worse than me but i guess if you want you can do better than me whatever whatever jack uh, what is i alluded to it but what is the topic for this week yeah well i've seen a lot of videos lately about like you know people trying to compare the top five leagues in europe you know which league is the best which one's the most competitive all that kind of stuff but let's settle it with trivia (laughs) specifically about the past game week so i have five (laughs) <laughs> I have five stats. They're they're relatively easy stats, you know, not nothing too niche, I'd say, about the games from this past game week in those top five leagues. And as a reminder, that's the Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, and Ligue 1. So those are, those are the top five leagues that we're doing. Your job, AJ, is okay. to rank them in order from mm-hmm. most to least in each stat here. Uh, there are a few ties in there so if you if you rank them oh gosh. okay and that if you rank them in the correct position and like you know they're uh they're they're down there you know or up there then you you get the points but each question obviously worth five points then so it's it's a it's a bit of a, a big one 25 points at stake are okay. you ready yes i am all right so first one pretty easy i think one of the easier ones which league had the most goals scored this weekend? I have to rank them? Yep, rank them uh, first, to, first to last, I guess. Okay. I'm going to go first, the Premier League, because there's some crazy games, very high score lines. Second, I'm going to go with the Liga, because I didn't see as many high score lines, but there were a lot of multiple goal games from both sides. And this is where it gets dicey. So I'm <laughs> going to go with, uh, oh, man. I'm going to go with Syria because I think I remember seeing some goals there. And then I'm going to go uh, Bundesliga and then Liga because uh, I, I remember, like, uh, for example, Nice beat PSG 1-0. So there were a lot of, like, 1-1, 1-0 scorelines there. So those are that's my order. You're super close to getting all of them correct. <sighs> You're so close. First is the Premier League with yeah. 29 goals. Wow. Uh, and just behind them is La Liga with 28. Let's go. So oh, oh, you got those two, right? Serie A is tied for third with 21 goals. Okay. But they're tied with Ligue 1, who had 21 mm. as well. 
And then the Bundesliga had the least, actually, with only 20 goals oh, this wow. past weekend. Only only about two goals per game. So that pretty, pretty close. Three at three out of five on that one. Hey, not too I'm bad. I'm doing better than uh, last time, I'll be honest. So <laughs> Yeah. So are you ready for the next one? And this one has quite a few that are tied in, okay. in this. So which league featured the most comeback games? And this is going oh, from man. down to winning not down to tying oh wow so i uh-huh. this this took a lot of time to go through and looking at every, when every single goal was scored but okay uh so, so uh, th- th- i i do remember uh, so, some comeback uh games occurring here so oh man oh man uh i'm gonna have to go i'm just gonna shoot in the dark right now i'm okay. gonna go with la liga uh, up top uh premier league second uh Bundesliga last, so just keep in mind Bundesliga last. Okay. Uh, and third and fourth could be a toss up, but I think I'm gonna go Syria third and fourth, uh, Liga. Okay, so I'll I'll give you three out of five on that one. Okay. Because okay. Let's there go. were three leagues that were tied for zero comeback games. Okay. That would be Syria, Ligon. And the Premier League actually had oh, wow. zero comeback games I, this I weekend. I could have sworn there was a comeback no, somewhere. Unfortunately, there, there was not, actually. I, I was shocked as well, but uh, no comeback games. Bundesliga was second because they had one comeback game. Mm-hmm. And La Liga was, in fact, first with two, uh, yeah. which were actually Barcelona and Real yes. Madrid, who both had comeback wins. So mm-hmm. I, I remember that, yep. So, you know, you, you've averaged 60% on both of them so far. Let's not, go. That, that's technically passing technically passing yeah you know so uh let's see let's see if you can turn it around even more with this next one which league had the most multiple goal scorers this weekend so players who scored more than one goal in a game so which league had the most of those and there is there is a clear distinction between this one there is no ties okay no ties well just on the fact that the Premier League had the most goals scored. I'm going to put them on top and I'm going to roughly follow what I think I remember the, the order of the most goals scored being, which I'll, which is La Liga. And then, oh man, I'm already forgetting, but you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to shoot in the dark again, whatever. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Premier League, La Liga, Syria, Liga, and then Bundesliga. Well, you're very consistent. I'll say that you got sixty okay. percent again. All right. Uh, so the the Premier League had four multiple goal scorers with mm-hmm. De Bruyne scoring a yep. brace, Mahrez scoring a yep. brace, uh, Havertz scoring a brace, mm-hmm. and Tony being the only player in the top five leagues to score a hat trick. Yeah, two, what, two of them weekend. were penalties though. Yep, Whatever. exactly. Whatever. Yep, yeah, <laughs> not a real one. Uh, then actually, second is Serie A which had okay. three Edin Dzeko scored two. And I was actually wrong. There, there were two players that scored a hat trick. Uh, Lautaro Martinez also scored a hat trick right, yes, in a five yes. zero win. So, uh, and then Dominico Berardi scored a brace. And then you have La Liga with Iago Aspas, uh, scoring, I believe two penalties <laughs> to make, mm. to, to get his brace and Joao Felix scoring twice. And then you've got league on who had Roman Favre to score a multi, uh, multi-goal game and then the Bundesliga had zero multi-goal scores, which was kind of crazy because Frankfurt had four go- four goals, no multiples in there. 
but again, 60%. So you're, you're very consistent on these. Nice. Uh, second to last question. And this one has two ties. So two teams are tied or two leagues are tied. Which league had the most own goals this weekend? Oh man. Most <laughs> own goals. Yep. Uh, I can, I can keep on going with my, with my just going by who scored the most goals. Cause statistically it's they're most likely to, to go with okay. own goals. And guess what, Jack, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go with Premier league and then La Liga. I'm going to spice things up a little bit. I'm going to go with La Liga <laughs> and then Syria and then Bundesliga. All right. Let, let me just make sure I've got everything there. Uh, and I, I need I need to calculate the score here because I've got okay, to make okay. sure I get I got this right. So um, for, for listeners again, that's Premier League, Bundesliga second. Oh, no, sorry, Premier League, La Liga second, Liga, Syria, and then Bundesliga is the way that I ordered it. Well, uh, you've you've got two out of five this time. Okay, whatever. Uh, I I if you had gone with the with the other way around, what you were saying, you would have had you would have had it right when you said Bundesliga second. Darn. Bundesliga had two own goals. Uh, La Liga had three own goals. Mm. Uh, Ligue 1 had one. So you got that one right. Serie A had zero. And the Premier League actually had zero own goals. Oh, Although may, maybe you could count a half one for Tarkowski literally yeah. serving it on a plate for Pulisic. But uh, still zero, technically zero own goals. Okay. Which was kind of crazy, but that's, that's how it shook out this week. Uh, and finally... A last one. If if you can get four out of five on this one, then you then you've got. Uh, I'm then going for it. I'm going for it. Wait, if I right. get four out of five, then is that automatically that, five out of five? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't think four out of five is possible. But which league featured the most clean sheets this oh, weekend? It's over <laughs> clean sheets. Yep. No, actually, I got this easy clap. Uh, okay. I'm going. I'm going. Liga on top. Bundesliga. Oh crap! Uh, okay, so so Liga, Bundesliga, okay, La Liga, Serie A. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. Let me start. Let me start. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. As I was saying, <laughs> I'm going Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, Premier League, La Liga. All right. Uh, and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm really nervous. I'm putting. I'm I'm putting it in, and um, you you said La Liga last, right? uh yes yes okay i'm just me i'm just making sure oh, uh, God. You, that, that means i got it perfect then right uh no i think if i'm reading this right that's one or that's one out of okay yeah well, that's what that's whatever. one out of whatever uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever <laughs> um yeah so actually first was Serie A, which Darn. had nine clean sheets league on was next with eight la liga and epl were tied with five each and the Bundesliga only had three. So there weren't a lot of goals scored, but they were very spread out between the teams. Uh, so a, a little, a little, a little bit, it got worse as it went on, let's yeah. just say. So a, uh, a little under 50%. What, yeah, so a, a little bit under. You got nine, tw- 12 out of 25. Yeah, it's, it's not yeah. too bad. Okay, it's not too whatever. Bad. It's, it's tricky. The ranking ones are always trickier. You, you yes. kept getting the easy trivia ones too quickly. So I had to I had to throw a wrench yeah. into it. Some I, I liked it better when I was just translating French. I thought it was easier. <laughs> All right, well, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do a different translation one next week. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Listeners, hopefully you did better than me, uh, considering those 
pretty pretty embarrassing but you know whatever whatever we we move as they say and we move on to the rest of our story starting with uh some more russia ukraine news as it relates to soccer we're not gonna be like cnn or whatever reporting the news but russian clubs and national teams have been banned from uh, uefa and fifa competitions russia will not be allowed to participate in the world cup qualifiers uh as well as uefa uh competitions like the champions league europa league uh have been barred and kicked out uh those russian clubs such as uh uh zenit i believe is no zenit got got, no they got they got beaten yep okay and but spartak moscow is still in it uh spartak moscow yes they got they got kicked out of it yep Mm -hmm. yes so it brings up the question, you know, what is next? What is next for these uh, Russian clubs? And what is next for uh, UEFA and FIFA and how they deal with uh, the Russian and Ukrainian uh, conflict as it relates to soccer? Will they keep up these sanctions or will, will something change? The first question that we should probably ask is, with Russia being out of uh, the, the World Cup qualifying competition, out of the playoffs, that leaves a hole that is there because uh, the other teams, of course, are Sweden, Poland, and the Czech Republic in their group. So how, how do we deal with that? Personally, if, if, if I can uh, give my piece, I, I, I think that it would be a little unfair to plop in another team that A, maybe isn't ready uh, to, to go, and B, it, it's, kind, it's kind of a, a little... Uh, hazy to say which team necessarily deserves to make it instead of Russia if we're assuming that we're like voiding Russia from this competition so I think the most fair thing to do is a three-team group so each each team plays uh, two matches uh, which is about the length of the window as it was going to be anyways and the top team uh, after that that uh, three-team group concludes is the champion and goes on to the world cup jack would you like to see i don't know uh uh freaking slovakia in there or <laughs> huh, uh, hmm. or finland uh, hmm. i'm sure that there's some bias i would love to see uh robin ludd in the world cup but i, what, what I would think? love it too uh, what do you think should happen here i i i think there's a few ways you can go about it like you can go with kind of the path you you went with uh you know trying a different format you can go with just give poland a buy into into the next round i don't think that's fair though i no, i don't i don't think it is either or you can go with putting in a different team and if you're going to go the route of putting in a different team there's a few ways you could go about doing that like you could say okay russia was in group h so give it to slovakia because they were third like that 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 seems you could say that's fair but then you could say okay but out of all the third place teams Norway was the best and they had 18 points. Right. So do do you let Norway in then? And then I know there's an argument for um another team and I think it was I want to say Hungary who had the next highest UEFA club coefficient or um in the Nations League. However they assigned uh you know the other teams that didn't already qualify in normally uh through that. So the, you could make an argument that you use the same format that you used to choose other teams that randomly made it in, you know, because there's one in each of those groups. I believe it's Austria, Czech Republic, and I want to say Scotland that were the the three that made it in like that, but mm-hmm. I, I can't quite remember exactly how, but 
I I think I any of those are good options. I I have a feeling though, based off of what uh, UEFA did for the Europa League, they're going to just give Poland buy, which I, which I I think is stupid. And yeah, but 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 here, but here's the thing, right? With, with uh, there's no other way to do the 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 knockout turn the knockout tournament uh, in terms of the UEFA uh, Europa League. Because you know it's the round of sixteen. Like, like, what is RB Leipzig going to do? Are they going to just going to? Are are they going <laughs> to fight a, another group stage game? No. Are, are they going to play? Uh, are they? Are, is UEFA going to choose some random team to fill in for uh for Spartak Moscow? That wouldn't be fair. So, but I I think there is some real movement here that could be made, and I, I think there's room for that movement. Now, moving on to what you just said with RB Leipzig and Spartak Moscow. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Spartak Moscow, obviously, is a Russian club. You can probably <laughs> tell by both of the two words in that name. Uh, but are, they were slated to play RB Leipzig in the round of 16 in the Europa League. And RB Leipzig were granted a walkover. They are now in the quarterfinals uh, because of the sanctions against the, the Russian clubs. And were they probably going to win anyways? Maybe, maybe, whatever. Uh, but it does give them a competitive advantage in... Uh, this tournament so jack is this justified is this okay what do you think about uh these clubs being sanctioned in these ways yeah well for for that one it's really tough because you know you could say okay in group c lester were in third place so why don't they get in but then you remember that lester already had to play in the europa conference league so what what are you going to do then? You're just going to upgrade them, and then what happens yeah. in the Europa Conference? Yeah, it's impossible, right? It's impossible. Like, it's you're very restricted there because the competition's already started. The next stage, that that's why it's different. I feel like here than it is for World Cup qualifying because that stage of the competition hasn't started yet. You have time to make a decision, but with this, like, literally the only really fair option <laughs> is just to let RB Leipzig through. Which sounds very paradoxical. I, I know it does, but right. It it it's honestly the most fair way because otherwise everything else gets upset throughout that. Like there's no good way to do it without upsetting every other European competition. Mm. I, like, I I think I I, yeah. I think I have actually a, a more fair way. Okay. Okay. I think I think Sevilla should play RB Leipzig and West Ham just move on to the quarterfinal. Oh, okay. I think that's yeah, the yeah. most fair way. Of really, that's the that. most fair one. Yeah. The, yeah. Mo- the most no, fair one for West Ham. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just give us a break. We've, we've had a, a tough like couple months. So. Yeah. You know what? Actually, no, I have a better solution. Uh, you know, Bayer Leverkusen should okay. play RB Leipzig, you know, because they're both in Germany. It, it makes a yeah, lot of yeah, sense. It, right. Yeah. And then Atlanta yes, yes. and then Atlanta go through, you know, that, that's, mm, that seems that. pretty fair. I don't know about that. Yeah. But, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I, I didn't do any of the analysis in the group stage, but that makes actually a lot of sense. Like it seems nearly impossible to do anything there. Unlike, like you say, the World Cup. Uh, I, I think also when we're looking at like if this is justified or moral, uh, I, I've been doing a lot of reading on like these sanctions and how much they work. And it, it's really tough to see like sanctions that affect a lot of like the working class Russians a lot go through and how it negatively affects them but doesn't actually negatively affect the the people that, that these sanctions are aimed towards which are the oligarchs because all right you you hurt uh the, the the russian dollar the russian currency 
that makes it so a lot of the working class people their their savings are slashed but the oligarchs you know it's just a couple million they still have a, a million billion left in oil or whatever uh but i think as a whole sanctioning these clubs these clubs that are owned by either the state or by these oligarchs i think that is one of the perfect ways to sanction uh for football to sanction these oligarchs in a way that isn't harmful to the fans i mean the biggest harm that does to the fans is the fact that uh they might not be able to see their favorite team play that that's going to be the, the biggest effect for many the overwhelming majority of the people uh, affected by this so i i think if you're if you're trying to make a stand against this invasion even if it seems kind of small Spartak Moscow will be now missing the gate receipts that they could be receiving from hosting RB Leipzig or if they move on from hosting, I don't know, Barcelona, which should be huge for them. So that that's not insignificant. That's a couple milli milli right there. So I, I think that in this case, it, it's one of the more justified moral things that FIFA has done and UEFA has done, <laughs> which is super, super low bar. Yeah. You know, yeah. Good to see at the very least. Good to see. Yeah, The bar is possibly just about an inch off the floor uh yes exactly yeah so good to see there and jack you know what else is good to see a certain manchester united getting pummeled <laughs> how about we talk uh, about yeah. some games that have happened this past week yeah uh as you alluded to let's start with the manchester derby on yes. that because oh man that that was great um i'm not sure if you're familiar with um uh, a YouTuber called Mark Goldbridge at all. I'm not sure if you've heard about I'm him. I'm not, but, I'm not. Uh, I would highly suggest looking up his reactions to the goals. He is a United fan for the United oh, Stand. Oh, no, yeah. And um, he, he, he's pretty funny to, to watch, especially if you're not a Manchester United fan, uh, to see his reactions to things. But, you know, Manchester City kind of proved their dominance once again and pretty much showed, even though Liverpool are close behind them, they're probably going to win the league anyway, just because of performances like this. You know, Kevin De Bruyne kicked off scoring uh, five minutes in. Jaden Sancho responded with a pretty good goal. Uh, a little bit later, Kevin De Bruyne scored again, and then Riyad Mahrez gets a brace at the end of it to finish it off. Uh, and, you know, th this is just showcasing Manchester United's whole season, honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh it's, it, it has not been good for them at all. You know, they, they've they've tried their best. They've tried it. Uh, they've actually tried their best might be a bit <laughs> of an overstatement. But, you know, they've tried changing up the coach. They've tried changing up the lineups. None of it seems to be working. And there's clearly a bigger problem at Manchester United that we've been alluding to this whole season uh, that rhymes with Blazers. Uh, so, you know, uh, might be a bit obvious there, but <laughs> but either way, like, you, you know, you got you got to fix you got to fix something at United. They had eight percent possession in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, of the game. that was terrible. That, terrible. That is that is awful. Like even teams that are parking the bus manage at least like 20 percent possession yeah. in the last 15 minutes, especially they, when you're three one down, like in the last 15 minutes, you can still come back from that. You, you still can if you play smart and keep control of the ball. You could theoretically come back from that. But no, instead, they they just decided uh, we'll just try and preserve our goal differential, I guess. And yeah. then it didn't pay out for them anyway. 
Yeah, like it, they they got just ran off the the pitch, right? Like like they were outshot twenty four to five. Yep. Accurate passes was seven hundred two hundred seventy six. Like at, at no point when watching this did I feel like Manchester United had a chance. It was Manchester City, and specifically, you know, the likes of De Bruyne and Mares, and I thought I thought Bilva and Rodri were very good in the midfield too, and McTominay and Fred. Like, what, what are they gonna do? <laughs> against against Bilbo, Rodri, and De Bruyne, like like as a whole, yes, Manchester United should have done better. But when you look at what they've been building towards this entire decade, pretty much, it, it makes it, it at no point in the past decade did I feel like Manchester United could uh, amount to anything more than what they are now, which is a, a ghost of what they once were. And I think this game was a per a perfect encapsulation of this. Like this was a training session for Manchester City. Like yeah. w- w- once Mares scored the last two goals, I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, like the, this is the, this is the natural conclusion to this game. Just yep. the, the, the second half Manchester United just like laying down and just being like, all right, uh, the rain's going to fall on my face and I'm yep. just going to, I'm just going to take it. It's just going to, I'm just going to be sad and start crying. They, they produced they zero XG in the second half, by the way. That's yeah, I, I, I would assume so. Cause <laughs> yeah, that was bad. And did, Harry Maguire as well. Just awful. Oh, awful. Did you, did you see the decision where uh, I think it's Kevin De Bruyne is running with the ball. He's going forward. You know, anyone watching is going to be like, yeah, he's going to go and try and pass that around the side. And so the logical thing for a defender to do, because Harry Maguire is like halfway up the field, is to yeah. run back and get ready to cover. Instead, he goes up and slide tackles Kevin De Bruyne and gets a yellow card. Mm-hmm. Um, great decision making by Manchester United's captain. That's exactly what you want to see if you're Manchester City. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, and it's not just Maguire because Maguire. I mean, we've been saying he's a terrible defender, but even oh, yeah. you, even Lindelof, yeah, he was and Telus, like Lindelof especially. Uh, I remember a time that, that he just got completely beaten, and honestly, I don't remember if he won a tackle or if he or if he had uh, if he won any duels like he, he, he was won just, zero tackles and okay. he won zero duels. Yeah, because yep. I, I remember he was a traffic cone out there like that. That's just Manchester United at this point. Yeah. And um, also, uh, Harry Maguire won zero tackles. Uh, oh, that also makes sense. <laughs> a key stat there. Uh, Aaron Juan Bissaka, zero tackles one. Uh, let's see if Alex Tellez did any better in that sense. He won one tackle. Nice. So he attempted one tackle. So a hundred percent. Great, great work. <laughs> I, Jack, I, I have a stat for you uh, okay. here where uh, a, a, a little bit of uh, a sad news for Manchester United fans. I'm sorry. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear this. But since the last time Manchester United won the Premier League title in 2012 and 2013, mm-hmm. Manchester City has won four Premier League titles. United, obviously zero mm-hmm. major trophies. 11 for City, 3 for United. Top 4 finishes, 8 to 4. Average points per season, 84 points for Manchester City and only 69 for Manchester United. <laughs> Managers for City, only 2. United, 5 now. And hmm. get this, this is the real kicker. Transfer money spent. For Manchester City, it's $1.25 billion. A lot of money, yeah. A lot of For Manchester United, 1.2 billion pounds. It's only a point <laughs> zero five difference, oh. and, and 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 that's what it's gotten them. 
I I, I remember uh, seeing Kinsella try a bicycle kick just in, in, in a right at the end, and it was it was as if it was like a training match because that is the gulf of quality between these two clubs right now for uh, for uh, uh, a fullback to just you know casually try a a, a bicycle kick because there's just nothing to lose. And even though it's a stretch, I know I know it's a stretch. I think it is a little metaphorical about the state of these two clubs. Jack, anything else to say about Manchester City and Manchester United before we move on? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I will say, actually, uh, any Manchester United fans who said that Bruno is better than Kevin De Bruyne. Um, Get out of here. Yeah, like, n- no, it, it's it's not it's not true. Never has yes. been. Never will be. <laughs> So now Manchester City take a pretty commanding lead of the Premier League, even though Liverpool are still only six points behind with a game in hand. A lot of things can still change, especially because those two teams will be clashing in April later on this season. Uh, And Arsenal and Manchester United have now I'm looking leapfrogged West Ham, but we don't have to talk about that right now because I will get sad. Let's talk about instead, Jack, some more happiness for you, a certain Olivia Giroud scoring for AC Milan. Yeah, the best to, player in the world, yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, but to take them uh, on, on top of the league, Jack, why don't you talk about uh, a little bit of, of French magic there in that AC Milan-Napoli game? Well, you know, AC Milan, they, they've, they, they've been doing really well this season. So has Napoli. But as we've discussed in past episodes, Napoli at the beginning of the season looks fantastic every year. And then by the end of the season... They, they go on a bit of a downward spiral, and yeah, that's only, why they don't win league titles. Only one win in their last five games, and that was against Lazio. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So they, they've, they've fallen off, uh, you could say, a little bit. Sure. And meanwhile, AC Milan have been flying recently. You know, they haven't lost in any of their last five games. Yes, they've had some draws in there, but sure, sure, still, sure. Uh, they've beaten Napoli to take them top of the league. And the breakthrough comes from Olivier Giroud. My one of still my favorite player, I'd I'd say. I'd I'd say he's still my favorite player. Uh you know, he he's he's really he's really good at at doing exactly what he did for this, which is, you know, free kick wasn't dealt by dealt with by Napoli. And uh he was right in the right place at the right time to poke the to poke the chance away. Mm-hmm. Uh poacher finish, you know, that kind of, uh and that's just what Giroud does, but it's amazing. And honestly, you know, we've talked about Jekko potentially being a signing of the season. Drew's honestly up there as well, because ah, <laughs> I mean, they paid two million euros for him. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's scored eight goals and two assists for them. And he is the top scorer for their club. Uh, so I, I think that tells you a lot about about AC Milan. Uh, and, you know, they, they've made a lot of good acquisitions, a lot of good decisions. And. You know, it, it's it's really good. Their defense has been fantastic as well in this game. And it showed, you know, uh, Teo Hernandez was very good. Great player. Uh, Love him. Yeah. Fikayo Tamori, another <laughs> player that Chelsea sold. Uh, AC Milan makes me cry sometimes when I look at it, <laughs> when I look at all of the Chelsea players that are there that uh, just were, de- were deemed not good enough <laughs> for the club. And meanwhile, they're doing better than some of our other players. Uh, Simon Kalulu, who's a young French center back, played great. Uh, Davide Cal- Calabria got the assist for for the goal, and Mike Mignon, really, really good stuff. <laughs> and as you said, a lot of French magic in the team. You know, 
four of their back five are are French, and then their goal scorer, the winner, was Olivier Giroud. So, uh, what what does this say about the title race? It tells us it's going to be interesting for sure. Uh, Inter versus AC Milan is going to be a race that goes down to the wire. Inter still have a game in hand that could take them a point above AC Milan, but this is honestly the most exciting top three yeah like league race for the title mm-hmm. can i say though that i i just realized that for for t- i think ties in in syria it's if it's like a three-way tie between inter and napoli it'll go into like a mini table where it's like the points against each other is how they uh, decide who who's on top and now that uh milan have beaten napoli they will beat that tiebreaker so this is going to be huge huge for uh the title race for the Serie A title and I-, I think if AC Milan want to have a chance to win because I think we both agree that Inter Milan are the likely champions uh you know at the end of the season because of the quality of a player and the fact they're not in the Champions League blah, yada 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 but if AC Milan want a chance to win they're gonna have to do they're, they're gonna have to put all, all the smaller teams away because uh th- they did not beat Udinese. They they tied two to two with a a, a Salar, yeah. Yes, exactly. Who are bottom of the league? So there there just needs to be some consistency there in terms of getting the big results, but also getting the job done regardless if it's home and away with those smaller teams. Would you agree? Oh yeah, I I agree. I mean, you know, this past weekend, Inter beat Salernitana five to zero. Yes, you exactly. know, you, you've got to put together those performances as well if you want to win a title like that. That's that's the thing that, you know, people forget about winning a championship like that. You know, knockout rounds a lot easier to win. You know, you just win one game and you're good. But in this, you have to sustain it for a long period exactly. of time. And uh, I'm not sure how sustainable AC Milan's victories, especially over these top teams, are. You know, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they perform in the coming weeks. But uh, it, you know, they've got it. They've got to get those results. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Let's quickly go over uh, to the other side of the pond and talk about some major league soccer. Of course, I'm talking about. Well, I'll get to the game we're talking about. There's some really fun results that have happened, such as Lewis Morgan scoring a hat trick for the New York Red Bulls as uh, they destroy Toronto FC and Lorenzo Insigne is really, I bet, uh, uh, <laughs> crying over the fact that he has to walk <laughs> into this mess of a club right now. Uh, a crazy, crazy thing I wasn't expecting to see, which is Francisco Calvo scoring a brace to tie it for San Jose. That's not the Francisco against- Calvo we know. That's, yeah, not, exactly. that's not the same guy. But but you know what's funny about that? You know what's funny? And I tweeted about this. I was like, I was like, I, I, literally, this is the conversation I had with myself. I checked foot mob and I was like, holy crap, Francisco Calvo scored a brace. I guess he's like turning a corner. I, I think he's doing better now. And then I looked at his defensive stats. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they're not good. In fact, he had he had eight clearances. Cool, cool. Zero tackles, one. And he lost the most duels of anybody in the match as a, a central defender, as the, the, the best central defender they have. Hey, so. so I think we know what San Jose needs to do. They found their Chris Wondolowski replacement. Play Francisco yes, Calvo up, up front. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, you can't do worse than Lopez right now. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but on the, on the happy side of that, Jan Gregush got two assists in that game. 
So very cool yeah. to see. Very cool to see. Uh, besides that, we also had uh, the unlikeliest of of heroes in this uh, season so far, which is Austin FC now scoring 10 goals in the past two games oh after God. only scoring like, what, 30 last season? Yeah, something and like so that. I, I'm really excited to see how Triusi, if he can keep this goal scoring ways up, if uh, Dominguez and Fagundes can help support him and uh, some some of their other strikers that got in. I will say, no offense to Austin FC fans, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people realize this, the two games were against FC Cincinnati and Inter-Miami. So they got games against Portland, which they've historically done well against, but then they have the likes of Seattle, Tard, hard, obviously, San Jose, could... Could could be easy. Minnesota United. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> DC United. So, I, so it, it's a mixed bag for the next results. But, you know, who knows where that leads to. Uh, but the game that I do want to talk about is actually Charlotte FC hosting LA Galaxy for their inaugural home game in front of 74,000 fans. Jack, the biggest game in terms of attendance was not in Barcelona. It was not in Germany. It was not in Italy. It was not in England. It wasn't even in South America. It was in North Carolina, the one and <laughs> oh only Charlotte FC hosting LA Galaxy. And it was it, it was a great crowd. You know, yes, there's some kinks to you know kind of go through, uh, you know, once they get their their, their supporting feet up, you know, that once they once they get a, uh, the toes wet in the supporters culture, I think it'll be even better. But they were loud. And one of my favorite moments off the field was, uh, I, I believe, uh, the, the the supporters sung the national anthem after the singer's mic kind of malfunctioned, and it was amazing. Like, and you could feel just the energy, and they they were ready for a fight. Unfortunately, their team wasn't. Jack, I, I'm I'm not sure if you saw any of the highlights. Uh, I I I'm looking at the stats right now, and it looks like um. They they had a they had a good amount of possession, but didn't really do much with it. No, yeah, I I think uh, uh at, at the time of when I when I uh tuned in, it was like Charlotte FC had one shot and LA Galaxy had thirteen shots, and I was like, okay, that's how that's going. And a lot of people were saying like, oh, LA Galaxy are gonna beat Charlotte FC like five to zero. It's gonna be hilarious because Charlotte FC suck. I I, I have for one not been as down about charlotte fc as some other people yes they've yet to score a goal yes i think they'll finish very close to the bottom but it's not going to be a blowout every single week as it is for a lot of times fc cincinnati and for minnesota united during their inaugural season as well (laughs) but the goal in the moment here that was incredible was alvarez the was he only he's like only 19 year old alvarez He, he he's just he's just dribbling and he takes just a, a curling shot from outside of the box. Like, had no business taking a shot out there. And it, and it goes. And it goes past uh, Kalina, Charlotte FC's uh, goalkeeper. And it was nuts. Like, Charlotte FC, they're loud the entire match. Like, they're chanting, they're singing, they're cheering. Silence afterwards. And then and then Alvarez just goes, shh, and kind of, like, you know, quiets them down. And you're like, dang. Dang. Like, 74,000 people showed up paid money just to see a 19 year old midfielder score a banger against them and tell them to be quiet amazing but the other thing with this the person who provided the assist 
was someone we both were kind of down on as a season signing uh, in our in our preview of the Western Conference. I don't know, man. I, I, he's I don't, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's going to be the, the signing of the season. Raheem Edwards. Yeah. Two assists in his first two games. Uh, I think have L.A. Galaxy. They've scored two goals. He's assisted both of their goals. Like there you go. He, he's he's half the reason why they have six points. Yeah, like that. He, that's crazy. He he played like not even that badly. He had some pretty good dribbles, uh, s- some pretty good passes, and even defensively, he won two out of three of the tackles that that oh, he went up against. Like, yes, I I don't think he is a natural left back, but for what they need right now, kind of cool. Like, kind of yeah. cool. Not gonna <laughs> lie. And I, I I can't wait for him to get an assist against LAFC considering he's a former LAFC player That'd that be would be fun. very cool uh but really quickly before we move on to the other stories uh I have to mention Sasha Kleschen uh back when he played for the Red Bulls visited uh a, 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 a kid in a cancer uh, children's hospital uh who's going through treatment I believe a certain Chris uh Higart and Chris Higart played in this match that's right after 10 years chris higart became a rookie for shot fc getting subbed in in the 87th minute sasha question got subbed in for la galaxy in the 53rd and uh, sasha question back when that happened 10 years ago gave him his jersey and then 10 years later what a story they trade jerseys once more at the biggest stage in front of the biggest crowd in mls history really cool moment had to highlight that because that just makes you feel all the good feelings after kind of some crappy news that we've gotten. So, Ooh, go Hergard. That, yeah, that, that was that was a great story. I saw I saw the clip of that and the audio from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really heartwarming stuff there. Yeah, really heartwarming. Jack, something else is pretty heartwarming, I guess, is uh, Chelsea versus Burnley. This will be uh, our, our final match that we talk about because we're gonna talk about Nice versus PSG. Uh, PSG just suck. Nice are uh, okay. Uh, second place yeah. in the in Liga, I should yeah. say. So pretty good. About that, but PSG let's be still going to win league on. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say we can talk <laughs> about that, uh, but mm, I don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, actually, I do. So yeah, let let's talk about uh, Chelsea versus Christian Pulisic's favorite club to play against, the Burnley. <laughs> Jack, walk us through it as a, as a Chelsea fan. What happened there? Yeah, well, I want I want to talk about first the bad news with this, and it's that some Chelsea fan, fans have no class whatsoever. Right. This is this is the main reason why we're we're talking yeah, about this. Um, Go at ahead. the begin before the game started, you know, the players were showing uh like a sign of solidarity by I think it was a, a minute of applause for Ukraine, right? I, I believe sure. it was a minute of applause. Uh both teams partook in this. Chelsea away end erupts with cheering Roman Abramovich, and I'm like, This is not the time. Come on. This is Literally. not the time. Like seriously, I I I don't understand because the whole thing that I've I've tried to stress in every time we've covered it, you know, I did a whole I did a 15 minute long episode where I basically repeated this over and over last week. It is pretty much impossible to separate Putin and Abramovich. They they are very much linked together. And Roman Abramovich is selling the club and also donating the proceeds to Ukraine. Right. For for that, which is a good thing. But there is no need to chant the name of an owner that is no longer going to be the owner in a few weeks during a tribute to recognize a country defending their sovereignty, defending their freedom. There, there is no need for that whatsoever. There's no need. 
it, it's it's like um I don't know if new if Newcastle fan uh fans started shouting before like uh before a game like Mohammed bin Salman or something like that like that that would be in poor taste right like it, yeah it would be in poor taste to and it's just ridiculous that that Chelsea fans were doing that absolutely classless action uh really really upsetting to hear because you know that's not something that we should be divided on uh it's i i don't think it should be that controversial to say Mm -hmm. that we should stand with ukraine in this situation uh it's pretty clear which side is morally correct in the in this in this uh at least to me but beyond that beyond that uh chelsea might have finally found their form again After going through a rough period of it, Reese James came back and he kind of unlocked Chelsea for for a lot. Like uh, he really was influential in this game. Uh, He scored the first goal, which happened in the 47th minute. He provided an assist for the goal that happened in the I want to say he assisted the second. No, the third goal, which happened in the 55th minute. Scored mm-hmm. by Kai Havertz and Christian Pulisic assisted a goal that happened in the 52nd minute. So Woo-hoo. within within eight minutes after a zero zero first half, uh, Chelsea are three zero up. And Christian Pulisic, he really he really does like playing against Burnley for for whatever reason it is. But he scored in the 69th minute uh, to make it four to zero. And so he had a goal and an assist in this game. And what a miracle. He started at left wing and produced a goal. Wow. Uh, I saw a crazy stat that he has in 53 appearances for Chelsea in his left wing position where he starts at left wing, right? He has produced 35 goals plus assists. Wow. In in 53 games. Like that that's that's just that's an incredible stat and it just shows what happens when you play really young talented players in the right position. Who mm-hmm. would have thought? That that's what that's all it took. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was it, it, it was really good. It was nice to see Reese James back, although not nice because the person I'm playing in draft fantasy league has him on the team. Uh, yeah, he, he scored 18 fantasy points this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is more than I think my entire team scored so far. So <laughs> I, I, I think I, I think I lost this week. Uh, but, you know, Burnley. They, they played well in the first half, but really fell asleep in the second half. They switched right. off over halftime. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but they, they were they were out of the game by the 55th minute. You know, it, it was pretty much done. Uh, I, I don't have much else to say other than, you know, Thomas Tuchel play play Pulisic in the left wing position and play Havertz up top because clearly that works pretty well. Well, actually, Jack, I have one thing to ask you okay. before we wrap things up. Okay. And going off that, uh, Romelu Lukaku, bop or flop? <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm, I'm starting to lean towards flop, but yeah. I want to give I want to give him some more time because he has shown promise in some games. You know, he did score the goal that ended up winning us the FA Cup tie. Yeah, against who was that? Who's that? Against Luton. Against yeah. Luton. But <laughs> how are West Ham doing in the FA Cup? Okay, well, I wasn't asking about that, was I? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I had to. Well, well he, he, here's a stat, Jack, that, that might help you. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, 
he has had a goal every 235 minutes for Chelsea, which is a little over two points, 2.5 games around there. So hmm. not not the most <laughs> fruitful for uh, one of the more expensive transfers in Chelsea's history. Definitely not the highest, but, you know, yeah. Uh, do you want to know what's wild, though? We actually witnessed 40 percent of his goals in the Premier League when we watched the game uh, at Brits and uh, against Aston Villa. That was 40 percent of his goals in the Premier that, League. That is true. That is <laughs> we, true. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm not I'm not very hopeful about how this is working out, but I'm hoping I'm really hoping that this is just like, you know, he's he's getting his footing back in the Premier League. And maybe next year he'll be good. But I thought that about Timo Werner and. I mean, actually, he's been okay. He he was great in the Luton game. Yeah, every every player can play well against Luton. Uh, not true, not true. Uh, because Kennedy does not know how to play against Luton. Yeah, Kepa doesn't know how to play against Luton. <laughs> so, I I mean, not not everyone can play well against Luton. True, but all yeah. right, all right. Well, you know what? West Ham will take uh take Lukaku. Or okay. Werner. I, 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 yeah, I think. Uh, can can we do it? Can we do a, a swap deal? Uh, Declan Rice for Romelu okay. Lukaku. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, a solid one. You need a backup striker. You know, we can provide that for you. <laughs> After watching this Liverpool game, I think if Declan Rice leaves, we might as well. Oh, we might as well just sell the team at that point because, geez. <laughs> Anyways, and enough about West Ham. Uh, I, again, I, I I kept on bringing West Ham up this this <laughs> this episode. I didn't want to talk about it, but whatever. Uh, Jack, that is all for uh, this week's episode of the Final Third podcast. If people want to talk more about United getting pounded or Charlotte FC uh, not doing well, or even the U.S. Men's National Team or the Russian uh, uh, Russian Ukraine conflict as it relates to soccer, where can they see? our analysis and talk to us they can check it out on twitter at final third show you know uh you you know you also get some memes on there every once in a while you uh, know? yeah pretty funny you, you you do get you do get memes you get you get uh you get some bad takes sometimes uh you get you get good takes more often i like to think so uh, it's probably it's probably worth worth following us you know uh it, it's 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 a good time you know good tweets good content <laughs> all that good stuff Good content as well. Finalthirdshow.com for a, a one-stop shop for all things Final Third Podcast. Tell a friend about the show. I'm sure they would love to hear about us talking about Weston McKennie. Tell your dad about the show. I'm sure he would love to hear about what we should do about the Russian clubs in uh, in the UEFA competitions. Uh, we'll see you guys this th- Thursday for a deep dive episode that is yet to be determined, but will be a lot of fun regardless. And we'll see you guys. Same time, same place for next week's news and predictions, news and review episode, whatever you want to call it. We'll see you then. See ya. Bye for now. <laughs>